Hey everyone, it's another episode of Find Your Film. I have not even asked my my betters, Eric Holmes or Bruce Perky, if, if I sound okay. Do I do I sound okay on, on this episode, folks? Eric Holmes, do I sound all right? Your golden pipes are as sexy as ever, Greg. <laughs> Thank you. Bruce Perky, do I have golden pipes because you're the most candid reviewer out of all of us. You're the hardest person to please, Bruce Perky. Do I have you golden pipes? You sound like the voice of an angel. Translation, folks, I have rusted pipes. That's Bruce is just a friend. He's just trying to be nice Take to me. These rusted pipes. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, we're going to, by the way, eventually, thanks to you, Bruce Perky and Eric Holmes, we will be sued millions of dollars from these music licensing companies when we do that. Believe <laughs> me, they'll have no idea what tune I was singing. <laughs> so, there's no, okay, there's so, no problem there. So, so this week, folks, uh, for our video podcast, you can actually check out our podcast on Bruce Perky's Rustomeyer channel. He posts all our Find Your Film episodes on his channel. There's also movie reviews on Rustomeyer, so that's pretty cool. This week he's called Bruce Perky calls himself the Outperkst. Ooh, the Outperkst. Very interesting. That's going to be a movie that he's going to talk about. It's not called the Outperkst. I'm gonna let him spoil it for you in in moments. And Eric Holmes is called Cinemerics because if you don't see the video podcast, Eric Holmes is showing off a cinematics. Oh, and Bruce Perky is showing off the cinematic shirt. Folks, if you don't know, I am I am a co-host with Anderson Cowan for this episode, this show that's been running since 2015 called Cinematics, the movie review show. And these guys are listeners to the show, which most importantly, they're my friends, but they they uh, they're very cool. Is it so do you how how long have you been listening, Bruce Perky, to cinematics? Little plug. How long? Since the beginning or what? Yeah, since it started, sure. Okay. Have I improved since the first episode? Because, I mean, you can, <laughs> if I've been, have I gotten bad, better? Because I was probably, I was brought to it by Anderson, but I stayed with it because of you. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm just oh. buttering you up today, aren't I? I must be ready to just knock down, knock you, you down. Are, you are buttering me up so much that I think I really, I think probably with the worst film of the year, that must be The Painted Bird. <laughs> <laughs> Must be the painted bird. Must be the worst movie of the year. We're going to figure that out. Bruce Perky and I have our own opinions on the painted bird. The painted bird is going to be a movie that Eric Holmes will be covering on his rewind segment for, I was going to say for cinematics because you guys both have the cinematic shirts. This is not cinematics. This is find your film where we, us three, us three amigos on a weekly basis, try to give you guys weekly movie recommendations that will ha- put you in good stead for the weekend. Okay, and every couple of weeks, every other week, we also do director spotlight. Today, we are doing a double header. We're doing the weekly movie recommendation, and then after that, we are doing a director spotlight spearheaded by Eric Holmes. What is that director spotlight, Eric? Who did you decide to choose for our next episode? Oh, we're doing Ida Lupino. Ida Lupino. Apparently not Ida Lupino, but Ida Lupino. Yes, don't say Ida Lupino. That is my fault because I kept on calling her Ida Lupino the last several weeks. It is Ida Lupino. That is Eric Holmes. Had the well, Eric, before we get into movie rewinds, movie recommendations, to tease the next episode, our director spotlight, why was Ida Lupino a great choice uh, for this week's spotlight? Well, friend of the show and listener, Angie Clark, recommended I see The Bigamist, which I believe you guys will be rewinding today. And I really liked it. And she kind of struck me as, uh, and, and I realized that she directed a bunch of stuff. And besides Elise Guy Blaché, you know, we haven't did any other female directors. And she seemed like a really good one because she's not, she's a name I've heard, but someone I didn't hardly know anything about. So it seemed like a, seemed like a good homework assignment. 
seemed like a, a worthy rabbit hole to fall down, I believe. Okay. Very, and what what movies will we be spotlighting for the Ida Lupino segment, uh, director spotlight episode? I believe it's on Dangerous Ground and Outrage, yes. but I also watched Hitchhiker, and I, I think uh, Bruce has a. Uh, we we got some other surprises that oh. might make it make its way in there. So very cool. And Bruce, how is Eric Holmes talking about homework on Ida Lupino? How has the homework been for you on Ida Lupino? I guess I guess maybe even the last couple of weeks you've been watching a lot of Lupino stuff. What is have, have yeah, your impression? Yeah, I, I really really enjoyed it, and I. I like her a whole lot as an actress and as a director. So it'll be really fun to talk about. So, uh, and I didn't know that I knew who she was, but when I was a really little kid, I used to watch the Batman TV series when I was like five and she was in an episode of Batman. So I, I recognized her from that. I'm like, wait, I know her from Batman. So there you I go. feel so bad. We only had maybe a couple of weeks to research for Lupino and actually Lupino's a director that I'm sure we'll be talking about down the road with find your film. There's so many directors that we, there's a bunch of directors we spotlighted that we, I can't wait for us to return to our first director was thanks to Eric Holmes. He chose William Friedkin. I can't wait till we get back to do some William Friedkin movies. Of course, my favorite director is Brian De Palma. I'm sure Bruce Porky wants us to sort of go back to Satoshi Khan for a deeper conversation with Tokyo Godfathers. There's a lot of stuff we really want to cover in our find your film universe. Before we get to some, our main movie recommendations this week, we do a segment called Movie Rewind, where when someone actually watches a movie one week, the other person may actually listen to, the, to that other person and watch that that said movie the next week. So we're going to start off with Bruce Perky right now. And you have a Movie Rewind for the segment. And what is that Movie Rewind you want to talk about? Actually, um, we should do ours together, Greg. Let's do The Bigamist. No, no, I, I don't want to do the biggest bigamist because I've been talking too much the last ten minutes. I'm just gonna let you do it, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna Eric Holmes. Can, can you can you do the the portly overweight Asian review of the bigamist? You can pretend to be me with uh with uh with Bruce Perky. Talk about the bigamist. You're not, you're not portly. You're comely. Oh, oh, very, thank you so much. Angelic, I, angelic. Oh, okay. I'm 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 really gonna self combust. Bruce Perky, the bigamist. My yep. real fear about the bigamist was that it was going to be melodramatic but first eric holmes you you did not find this melodramatic at all right that's that's why you actually recommended this to us several weeks ago well kind of melodramatic but uh i don't know it's kind of like uh one of those chick flicks at work at least for me it did you know I can't think of a good example offhand because there's not a bunch of them, but you know, it, it fell into the tropes. But I, I thought it played it played it off pretty well. Okay, Eric Holmes said it played it off pretty well. Bruce Perky, The Big Miss, released in 1953, directed mm-hmm. by Ida Lupino. Okay, produced by her her husband Collier uh, Collier Young, I believe that's his name, Collier Collier Young. But again, directed by Ida Lupino. What did what were your overall thoughts of the bigamist? Uh, my overall thoughts was it was really solid. And after watching more of her movies, and we'll talk about them in the other episode, but I could really see some kind of common things that she does in her movies. But so you're talking about the I guess the soapy aspect of it or those kind of things. I think that it isn't very soapy, other than you have to automatically go into the kind of style of drama from that era, right? So your 1950s, 40s. So the acting and the style is, is is a different style. So if you kind of fall into that mode and understand there's a little bit of heightened stylized, I guess, acting and speaking just because it's that, you know, that era, 
But once you kind of let that go, I thought it was really interesting. Probably give people the basic concept of it. A basic concept of it is that it's Edmund O'Brien, right? He's the he's the husband. Yeah. And Edmund Joan O'Brien. Fontaine. And Joan yes. Fontaine are, are a married couple and they want to adopt a child. And as part of adopting the child, um, they have to be investigated to make sure they're fit parents. And as part of this investigation, it slowly comes to light that he is a bigamist. And of course, the other woman is Ida Lupino's character. And the main story is either flashbacks or kind of just showing you how it all happened and then what happens after it all kind of gets discovered. The investigator is played by Edmund Gwen. He plays mm-hmm. this investigator named Mr. Jordan. Edmund Gwen is best known for his role as Santa Claus. And I believe on, I'm thinking Miracle on 34th Street, but he's be- basically known yes. as Chris Kringle, St. Nick. He's basically the best known Santa Claus in Hollywood in cinema before Mel Gibson played Chris Kringle recently in the classic known as Fat Man. That was no, yes. no, no, but I'll give it a better connection. <laughs> I'll give you a better connection for him. Edmund okay. Gwen was also in them, which was the uh, inspiration for Joe Dante's short Matt in matinee, which is in another one of our episodes. See, there you go. It's very cool. Bruce Perky brings a lot of <laughs> class to their proceedings, which I do not. And I apologize for that. A little little thing before we get into a little bit further into the bigamist, Edmund Gwen, there's a little in-joke during the movie because the, the main character played by Edmund O'Brien, he He's the bigamist. So he, he lives in San Francisco and in Los Angeles. When he's in LA, he meets the Ida Lupino character during a tour on, on a tour bus. And they're touring mm. around Beverly Hills, movie stars' homes. And one of the remarks that the tour bus driver says, oh, he said, oh, that's Edmund Gwen's house from Miracle on 34th Street. And that's a direct nod. So, yep. Sorry to spoil that little inside joke for you on the bigamist. Which means that the bigamist, even though it's a, it is like Eric was saying, it has touches of melodrama. It, there are moments where it does, it, it's okay to take itself. You know, there's a couple moments where there's some cheekiness involved in the bigamist. Right. And I thought, I don't know about you, but were you struck? I was really struck by how they kind of play him off as you kind of are supposed to somewhat sympathize with him, but he's so singularly unlikable that I found myself sympathizing fully with both women in this movie when I was watching it well, you know, to the point that you were like, and I think that eventually that is the point of the movie. I think it does kind of end up veering that way, but you, you would think in this kind of movie that it would go like the guy is, you know, torn between, you know, passion and responsibility or something. And it kind of could go down that path, but it, it does something I think a little more interesting than that. I don't know what you feel, but that's how I felt about it. Well, I think that they made, it's basically his movie. It's Edmund O'Brien's movie. Mm-hmm. He's the main character, but he's the one who doesn't give he – is, he gives a solid performance, but the uh, colorful performances are done by especially Ida Lupino as a lonely yeah. heart girl working at a Chinese restaurant in downtown Los Angeles. And then you have Joan Fontaine as Eve Graham, the, the really beautiful, elegant woman who might be actually – out of the guy's league a little bit. So he, yeah. Yeah. so Joan Fontaine essentially is playing Joan Fontaine because he is, yep. he was known as a classy screen siren of her day, best known for her work in suspicion and Rebecca. I absolutely really enjoy this film because personally where, I don't know if you knew you guys knew this, where the bigamist was set, the downtown LA sections, I lived around that area for almost 10 years. So some of the exterior shots, I remembered that's where I used to live. And that was nice to see. There's sh- certain shots that were shot in MacArthur Park, MacArthur Park. MacArthur Park obviously is a big setting in that movie Drive, that Nicholas Winding Refn movie. If you're a fan of Los Angeles, especially noir Los Angeles, I think The Bigamist has a lot to offer. And I think there are moments in the mo- in the movie where when you think, okay, well, it's 
the thing about Isla Lupino is even though it is a melodrama, like Eric was saying, has touches of it, there are moments which actually it really looks pretty to watch. It yeah. feels noir. The vistas overlooking the terrace of an apartment. She actually, did you feel that she was actually thinking about Bruce, about her shot compositions as well? For sure. And I just wanted to also point out, I feel like everything I've seen her in, and we'll talk about this more, but I think in this one, it also, she could conceivably be the third the third most important character in this movie, you could say, but she just pops off the screen. Like she just is, I don't know. For me, she has such charisma that once you meet her on the bus, like you are, you're with Isla Pino's character. I felt. And, yeah. um, and one thing also, I think there's a weird little, um, little bit of trivia about this movie is I believe they said, and I couldn't be wrong about this, that this is the first time a woman director actually directed herself in a film. Like it's the first time that ever happened. So that, wow. that was kind of interesting. Wow, so. that is really Eric Holmes. I'm gonna out you for a second. I remember a couple of weeks ago you were actually you enjoyed the bigamist, but you did not know that Ida Lupino was one of the characters in the film. Yeah. Did you do you agree with Bruce meaning as far as her as an actress? Did she pop off the screen for you when you were actually watching the movie? What, what did you think of oh, the performances? They, yeah, definitely. The in fact, all the three for if you count the guy that was investigating yeah they were all fantastic and i i i just really enjoyed her characters along with the rest i it i could be wrong but i believe it wasn't until that episode that i talked about it where uh you or bruce mentioned that it was ida lupino i'm like wait what (laughs) so yeah shows how much i know and uh for anyone watching or listening Never listen to me. I'm wrong about many of things. <laughs> so, so you guys, both of you guys would recommend, would you recommend The Bigamist to yes. people who love? Okay. Absolutely. So, yeah. I, I highly recommend The Bigamist, especially if you like dramas from the early ni- 1950s, 1953, beautifully shot, directed again by Ida Lupino. I was going to say something else about this movie. It's, it's really escaping me, but again, highly recommended. This is a little bit of a teaser to our, our deeper dive on Ida Lupino's work as a director for the next Find Your Film episode. So, oh, that's what I want to talk about. Where did you guys see this movie? Where did you see it? Bruce Perky, Amazon Prime um, Video, didn't you? Yeah. Mm, no, I, yeah, I think I did watch it on Amazon Prime. And it was pretty terrible. It was okay. a terrible copy. And Eric what you got to watch out on Amazon Prime because sometimes they have bad prints on there. So. Okay. Eric Holmes, did you see it on Amazon Prime Video too? Did you see it on our YouTube? I probably did. did. I, I pro- more than likely YouTube, but it's hard to say because we've done so much Ida Lupino these last couple weeks Man, that, uh, they, they all kind of run together. I'm more than likely you do, but I okay. can't remember. Okay. Well, see, Bruce, you were saying that you, it was a terrible copy on Prime Video, and but you were still you still you were still able to enjoy it. So you would recommend it, oh, yeah. even with that oh, transfer. For sure. And I think it's on Canopy and stuff too. If you have Canopy, but I don't have it. I am so here. frustrated that you saw yeah. that. There's nothing you could do about it. I'm glad you guys saw it. I yeah. saw it on Canopy. On Canopy, folks, listeners, if you have Canopy, if you can have access to Canopy, download it and then watch The Bigamist. It's night and day. I would say the transfer is about 35 to 40% better on Canopy. It's ridiculously good to watch. Must watch on Canopy if you only have Prime Video and Canopy is not part of your whole if your library does not support Canopy, that's that sucks. So the only way you can watch it now is if you hunt it down for free on YouTube or on Amazon Prime Video, to Bruce's point, because of the public domain thing, there's probably several copies of The Big Mist Around. 
by the way, I've tried to look at all of those copies, all bad copies compared to the Canopy version. Okay, that's enough of me complaining. Go go get Canopy if you guys can have it. Eric Holmes, what is your movie rewind this week? Do you have a couple? Yeah, I got a couple. I'll start off with My Octopus Teacher. Mm. And uh, as I recall, Bruce uh, pretty much, as far as the story, Bruce said everything you need to say about it. But I, I did. I heard this movie was great and I really did not want to watch it because the the whole idea of uh, a lot of oh, sea right. life really uh Oh right, right. You, you think of like <laughs> spiders and snakes for most people that's like a lot of uh aquatic life for me it's just you know watching it and I'm just like uh, uh, you know and then they mentioned sharks I'm like I got to look away. But uh this movie was fucking beautiful both in how it looks, how it was shot and the emotional resonance it has the idea that you know here's this spot underwater just a little bit away from where this guy lives you know he's there every day and there's this whole world there's this whole world just right there and then one day he just goes decides to explore it and then he follows his octopus around and you know the octopus is doing octopus things and he's watching it and you know kind of developing a relationship with their octopus uh, as uh, someone might with their dog or cat or you know pet whatever pet they have and yeah it's, it it made me it made me kind of reflect on life and how you know just outside of your reach maybe right under your nose there's this whole world of uh, joy and happiness that can be found and all you got to do is go down and look for it and and you know to get even more sentimental and to bring it to this show right here. Then I started thinking of like, uh, like us, you know, we had to talk every week about movies and mm-hmm. become friends, go back further. We met each other through cinema, the cinematics, Facebook group, go back before that, you know, at, at least for me, uh, met Anderson through groupers and I found groupers through film vault and, you know, like the, the how everything kind of ties together. Uh, I don't know. I'm getting a little too weed head about this. And I don't <laughs> smoke weed, but Bruce, the, what is Eric Holmes talking about? Do, do you understand what he's talking about right now? Yes, man. He's talking about, got to listen. I had to listen. <laughs> got to listen to his soul. <laughs> no, no. I totally get what you're saying. And I think yeah, I if agree, nothing I else, agree. it kind of points, it points out this interesting thing. Cause there's, you always hear like the internet and toxic and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, like anything, it's a tool. And if you use it to connect with people, you're going to get a lot of value out of it. And I think that this is kind of the, the positive side of those kind of things. Like, cause I mean, just us doing this every week, each of us has found something like movie that they would not have seen because of the other people that's changed our life a little bit, you know? So that, that alone is, and hopefully we do that for a few people out there as well. And that alone is just uh, an extra connection you wouldn't have. You know what I mean? So maybe whatever it was you saw, maybe it was octopus teacher. They see that, you know, and they maybe not, wouldn't have heard of it if they didn't listen to this episode. So, yeah. But that, I, I get. I guess what where I'm getting real sentimental about it is like even beyond that. Like you know, bring it back to Anderson. You know, he gets a silly idea to make groupers, and because of that, you know, you know, he he went out and toured the movie, made yep. friends. You know, I, I made friends with you guys, made friends with Andrew Martin, made friends with William Lindis, made friends with uh, Boston, made friends with Angie Clark. Like, oh yeah, you guys and all these people are people I would never have even. Right. ran into had yeah. anderson not had this oh i'm gonna do a movie about two guys stuck together by the dicks sounds yeah. silly 
But there's this whole world that just came together because of that. And I, I think that's really beautiful. And watching my octopus teacher kind of the way that, oh, let's see this octopus, you know. And, you know, well, he, he didn't even go to see the octopus. He's like, I'm going to go diving. And then he finds this octopus. And then through that, and I would have to get into spoilers, but him and his son and the thing, they find it then. And it kind of like connects and, and kind of opens up the world for them just because he had an idea of, I'm going to go swimming. And then this whole other world opens up to him. Bruce, I remember yeah. you love this, this documentary as well. Oh, the yeah. The complaint was a little bit too much of Craig Foster being a little bit, you were, Eric was talking about being, that's a very good sentiment, Eric, but you were saying that Craig Foster was a little bit too sentimental, a little bit too much of him in my octopus teacher. I remember that's your initial review. <laughs> yeah. I, I superficially, I, I made it even worse. I said, I really enjoyed this, <laughs> but I think Craig Foster literally needs a beer. He needs, he needs a beer. Yeah. Depending on who's listening to it, it connects on all those levels. So, I mean, yeah. it's, it's no matter how you look at it, I think it's a pretty damn great documentary and it can be, it can be from great to the best documentary of the year for you. If depending on how hard it hits you, but I think unless you're just a heartless bastard, which there are a few of them out there, then um, you should have some connection with this movie. I think so. I, I think it has less to do with being heartless. And I don't think people like to be open to like love and you know good good feelings like that they're like oh that's that's girl stuff or you know uh yeah i'm i'm a man i don't you know do that but you know there's there's a there's a lot to say to appreciate people and connections and all that stuff or and being genuine it, not being um yeah. ironic you don't have to always yeah. be ironic sometimes you can actually just have a feeling that's yeah, genuine <laughs> yeah so. again, again mm-hmm. bruce you're breaking up but um <laughs> i'm kidding but but you know what? On a being serious though, in a second, I on a purely super. If even if you are a misanthrope and you think it's overly sentimental and you gotta take pot shots at this movie on the base level, on the zero level, I think my octopus teacher is a universally people. Everyone should watch this because even if you don't like all that stuff, it's a beautiful looking movie. The sea, the oceans, and it's just gorgeous to look at. And then on top of that, you have this real story about a man who is pretty much needs a life sort of makeover, really. I mean, he, he really does. He does. He needs, a, yeah. he needs a change. A sea, like, okay, a sea change. Sorry for the punny thing. but And this is what my octopus teacher does. It really helps change his life. So I think, it'd be, I think it's really value added, especially if you're at that moment when you're really open to receiving this. If yeah. like Bruce, like if you were saying, or Eric, what you're saying, if you're not open to what this is trying to put out there, you might take a couple of pot shots about it or, or make fun of it, or it might not be your movie. But that said, I bet you those people who really do not like my octopus teacher because they think it's overly sentimental or sappy. I bet you those, those people five, 10 years from now, they go back to this documentary. They may be in a different place and it may hit them in the right spot. So I highly recommend this as well. Eric. I would say if you're watching it, I, I would recommend anyone watch this, uh, especially if you're in a bad mood. And if you're watching it and it's getting overly sentimental and it's feeling kind of fishy, quit being a crab and come out of your shell. You got jokes. What did Mike any, did I, <laughs> You know, did anything put you in a bad mood to actually watch My Octopus Teacher, Eric Holmes? Did you have a some kind of double feature going on? 
No, uh, Bruce kind of Bruce just kind of sold it on me, uh, sold it to me when he talked about it. But it was like the hang up I have about sea creatures in general, and so I'm literally the last person that would watch this. <laughs> and I took something out of it, so that's very um, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I got I I, I didn't just get something. I, I got a lot out of this. It's a fantastic movie. I would recommend anyone see it. And oddly enough, I think everyone already did see it. So. You know, there's I, there. Yeah, I don't think I'm adding anything new to the table that everyone doesn't already know. But if you haven't seen it, check it out for sure. Do you know what's so funny, though? I, I agree. But Bruce, don't you think sometimes with Netflix, okay, it's screaming, streaming on Netflix, you know, six or seven months from now, it could even be below the algorithm. And yeah. there are people who just need to be reminded. I honestly think things drop off like that, drop off within like a couple of weeks. And if you don't catch it in those first couple of weeks and you don't hear about it, it's just disappears. And the next thing comes through, which isn't bad. I mean, they're giving you new content, but it just falls away and there's great stuff. I'm always amazed by what's on there. Like, Oh wow. That's on there. I forgot. Okay, cool. You know? Yeah. Eric Holmes, do you have another, another uh, rewind that, that you want to talk about that? Yeah, I got a, I got two more. Should I blast through them real quick? Blast through them. Blast them. The first one is a piercing. Oh, piercing. Okay. I watched Piercing, and I really liked Piercing. And this probably isn't a movie for everyone, but I think, as Bruce mentioned, if you like Jallo, this you this must watch. <laughs> I mean, the the fact that they played Goblin a couple of times in there right away, I'm like, oh man. Um, I, I don't really want to get into the plot too much because it kind of well. First of all, the the turn is a spoiler, and it's actually a really good turn, so I yep. wouldn't want to ruin that. Um, and I didn't, I didn't give the turn either when I yeah. described it. So, but uh, and then from there it gets really weird. This is just a really good movie. And then I, I know you mentioned it, but once you said Jello, I kind of tuned out because I'm like, I, I don't want to know any more about this. I didn't know that the director. Okay, so I knew that he did Lock. And I remember you talked about The Grudge, but I didn't put that together that that was the same guy. Oh, The Grudge in the Eyes of My Mother. Eyes of My Mother. Oh, yeah, yeah that that's right. That lock coming later. The coming later. <laughs> I know I know what but, that, uh, that one is, yeah. Yeah, but uh, Eyes of My Mother, really good. Piercing, really good. Grudge, nasty crap. And when, <laughs> when I saw that, I was like, how the fuck did that? Dude, The Grudge must have been like a paycheck movie for him or something. Like that. Yeah. That feels like they had a script and they like lost a director or they just said, we need a director. And they said, here you go. And he just took it. I have no idea what the, because the person that directed piercing in eyes of my mother, they're really good. Like fantastic. Like these movies are, these movies are really good. How do you get the grudge out of that? It it doesn't make sense to me. You don't see Eric. You don't see a direct through line. You don't see. No. would be. Holy. No. Rap. No, Grudge is not good, but Piercing is fantastic, and and Eyes of My Mother is really good. I, I wouldn't go fantastic, but I, I, you know, that's not a knock on it. it. It's still really good, and yeah. So I was like, oh, Piercing. Let's see what else he did. Okay, Eyes of My Mother, The Grudge. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> it, I mean, it got it, so it, bad. It didn't, it didn't add up to me. It did not add up to me. And so, uh, yeah, Piercing is on Netflix. Uh, check it out and if you like Jalo movies definitely check it out if you like david lynch type movies check it out if you like brian de palma movies check it out if you like yeah. 
fucking movies that go fucking off the rails and weird as shit. Check it out. There's so much to like about piercing. Although I will say that there's a certain group that it'll turn off, but yeah, that you could not say this is a bad movie. And I wanted to bring this up because it's been on online lately about end credits. They talk about Netflix Mm. cutting off the end credits and there's like some pushback against that. I always thought about end credits and, and you get a bunch of filmmakers talking about, Oh, we needed, we need to watch the end credits to, you know, honor the, you know, uh, give credit to the people that made the movie, which makes sense. But those same film critics have a black screen with white scrolling lines. And it's, it's basically they've uh, filmmakers have trained us over the decades that, nothing left to see here the shit is boring just walk <laughs> out <laughs> right your trash with you throw it out and leave the theater piercing you know that they, they have the end credits with the uh you know the cool titles and the background of those buildings buildings the yeah. music. Mm-hmm. like it, it's credits that i'm watching it go well i'm, I'm just gonna sit through this yeah. <laughs> i'm just gonna sit through the rest of this Plus, um, it's one of those movies that if you don't know what the music is, or even if you do know what the music is, you want to wait to see what the music is. It's I, that, yeah. that works on me in a lot of movies when I hear music that, I really like and I want to see what it was, you know? Yeah, and they always keep that for the last, which makes sense. <laughs> well, it'll be um, interesting to see what Nicholas Pesci does for the next one. Does he mm-hmm. do another movie like The Grudge, or does he go back to his own aesthetic? And if you go back to that own aesthetic, what kind of budget will you have to work with? Because it seems like you were saying, like you guys were saying with piercing, no budget basically, but look how beautiful that movie is. Yeah. It's, if you're okay with blood, that is right. If you're okay with yeah. blood. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> he, did a, say, he did a lot with his budget. He, he, he spent it wisely, you know? I would say that uh, after watching The Grudge, and I was supposed to blaster this and I'm not, so apologies. But uh, after watching The Grudge, if his next movie is an original, I'm there. If his next movie is like franchise, whatever, not interested. Um, Because clearly his heart isn't in that. His heart is in whatever cool ideas he has. And I'd much rather, in fact, this holds for almost every other filmmaker. I'd much rather see what someone's original idea is as opposed to a paycheck movie. I am not a producer. I'm not the head of a studio. I'm not, I'm not nothing, but why would you hire? And I thought, I'm sorry. I apologize for extending the grudge, but why would you hire someone like Nicholas Pesci to do the grudge? You give him a budget, but you basically, I don't know what went behind the scenes and you tell, I haven't seen this movie by the way, but considering what your reaction is, Eric Holmes, you're a very good, you're an expert in, in this genre. Why would you tell him to assumedly dilute your own vision? I don't know. And and maybe they didn't tell him to dilute it. Maybe I, and I, I have no idea. I I really can't speak on it. I, all I know is that eyes of my mother and piercing are really good movies and the grudge is not. And the only thing, the only difference between the three is the grudge is a franchise movie and the other two are not. And I, I'm just talking out of my ass at that. Anything I say beyond that is just me talking out of my ass, which I, I, you know, if you are talking out of, if you're talking out of your AI, I think maybe Bruce in about maybe give us a couple, uh, three, four weeks. Maybe I'll buy the grudge on DVD. I'll get it. I'll <laughs> download it on digital and I'll, and I'll send you a movie uh, screen pass, Bruce. And maybe, maybe uh, we'll, we'll both be talking out, out of our, you know what? So sure. we'll, we'll continue with that. Okay. So any, so any other movie rewinds this week before we get to our mains? Yes. I have another uh, one last movie rewind. Is, is it Citizen uh, Kane or is it something like on the, on that level? I, Actually, <laughs> I, I, you're not far off. The, the, it's the Painted Bird, 
Well, as if you've well, uh, really the painted Greg, Greg, you want to uh, you want to set up the painted bird history on find your film? Okay, well, I, I, the painted bird. You know, I, you're coming in weird. I'm, I'm hearing the painted bird. You're, you're sounding like the Red Shoes, Jaws, Cinema Party. So, Bruce, any other uh, any other movies uh, movie association with the painted bird? When you think of the painted bird, you think of what movie? What do you think? The the painted turd. The... <laughs> Well, the history, folks, listeners, if you haven't checked out our previous episode, Bruce Perky and I, we both reviewed The Painted Bird, I don't know, several episodes ago. I thought it was it was one of my favorites of the year. I, I'm thinking about it right now. But Bruce, this is literally, it, I, I'm putting words in your mouth. Bruce, is it one of the worst movies of the year for you? I, I just thought it was super wrongheaded in its tone and approach to what it was doing. Like, I thought it was beautiful cinematography, you know, lush production, but it was basically like a, a horror movie being treated to a, almost a Holocaust level drama. And I thought it was just very wrongheaded. Like, it's like if Merchant Ivory made a horror film. Well, it was more like if Troma made a Holocaust film. <laughs> wow. So Eric, Eric wants to watch it again. <laughs> Eric Holmes, what what say you? You, I loved it. I thought it was a near masterpiece. I understand where Bruce Perky's coming from. I I get it. Bruce Perky, I think you should thinking. Bruce Bruce is thinking really good filmmaking, but just wrong headed. And would yeah. you? You don't even. You wouldn't even recommend it, Bruce. Correct? You would not even. No, recommend because it. I think it's it's such a slog, and I don't think it's worth the almost three hours you spend in it. That I think, and it's just a, it's just a trudge through depravity, and it's not, it's not worth it. It's not, it's yeah, you don't gain anything out of it. Okay, um, Eric Holmes, Bruce Perky, in the last sentence, he just described my forty nine years on this earth. What is your, uh, what is, what is your final judgment on the Painted Bird? Well, first of all, uh, on a technical level, this movie, is, I would agree with you. This movie is a masterpiece. Like as far as cinematography goes, staging of action, uh, uh, effects, you know, acting's really good. On the other hand, it is fucking relentless. Imagine the best way I can describe this. Do you like 400 blows, but you were wondering it could use more solo in it. That's what <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Okay, the, I, that's a good. You take four hundred blows solo, smash them together, make it a very beautiful black and white movie. That's what this movie is, and it. Oh man, it was so hard to watch. I mean, it opens yeah. up. I, I I'll give away the first scene because it's within the first seconds of Fair this enough. movie. Yes, the 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 main kid's running away and he's got a ferret in his hand, and another kid tackles him, grabs a ferret douses it with fuel and lights it on fire and you get to watch a ferret burn to death. If you can't handle that, it gets worse from there. <laughs> yeah. And it just never ends. Yeah, it never ends. It, and like we said before, Harvey Keitel is the nicest guy in this movie as a priest. Well, <laughs> you're right. You're right. The weird, you're... The weird thing about that, because him and, and Barry Pepper also shows up by that point, because this movie is almost three hours long, and it, by the time I was by that time I was so beat down, I'm like, oh, God, because I I just kept flinching at the movie, because any time a new character or an animal shows up, I'm like, oh great, what's gonna happen to that thing now? <laughs> it's just unrelenting beat down, and then uh, oh, I wow. I don't know the the there 
maybe a point to it. And I think I kind of got something, but man, this thing. It doesn't let up. It, it's just, it's just nonstop nightmare from beginning to end. And I will reiterate, if you want to watch the movie, this wants to be watch the movie called come and see that is the movie that does precisely what this movie wants to do. And it's, a thousand times better. Okay, the painted. So you rented this, Eric Holmes. You rented. How did you? Yeah, I, I rented it on on the YouTube. I can wow. watch everything. YouTube. YouTube yeah. is great. Yeah, YouTube, YouTube is great. YouTube is great. So the painted birds close to three hours, at least three hours, uh, two hours yeah. and forty nine minutes. Eric Holmes. So would you recommend this movie? Um, it, it's weird because <laughs> Bruce is shaking his head. Listeners, take, take that. Take that first scene about the ferret that I had in mind. And if that turns you off, then no, like absolutely not. Because that's like the least thing that happens in this movie and it just gets worse. Like if you can't handle that kind of violence and that kind of torture, but as an experience and or like on a technical level, I kind of can. And that, and that's why I'm torn on this. Uh, there's so Good much point. great stuff in this. To your point, Greg, there's so much great stuff in it. And the reason why I say this in Masterpiece, I get it. I totally do. But to Bruce's point, the way that movie just beats you down and beats you down and beats you down and beats his characters down, it, it you just it, if you can handle that level of violence, give it a shot and you might find something worthwhile in there. If you can't stay far away from this. You know, I think this is a I think this is a very real just comparison. Last week you and I Bruce and Eric, you you liked Fat Man. I love Fat Man. Bruce, one of the you said it's the worst film of 2020. I feel the same way about the Painted Bird. When when we're you we're disagreeing on it, I it's one of these things where I think this Tone, is even yeah. this is even worse than Fat Man in the sense that if I recommend it heartily to someone and they see it, there's a 50-50 shot that they oh, go yeah. with me or they go with you. See, I think people would definitely are more likely to have a viscerally negative response to this movie than to fat man. I think, you know what I'm saying? Yes. Like, I think it, yes. I think it's, it's a much more dangerous movie to recommend to the average person. Whereas the average person could watch fat man. And if it hits them in the right tone, it's all good. If it doesn't, they're probably like, eh, didn't really work for me. I don't think you're going to have that reaction to the painted bird. So. Yes. And la- finally, finally on the, the painted bird, I was on a zoom interview thing uh, a couple of days ago. We were, I was at a press junket on zoom and there were all these other critics and anyone, someone said, anyone else see any good movies this year? And this, this um, elderly fella, like maybe in his early seventies, he's in the corner of a room and he says, yeah, last year it was, it came out in 2019, but I love the painted bird. There was dead silence for about several <laughs> seconds. So I turned on, I unmuted my mic and I said, Hey, by the way, I, I'm, I co-sign on that. And I, one of my favorites of the year as well. And he just gave me a, a, a just a, a look, a, a dazed look. And I'm thinking that might be the, that might be the audience of the painted bird. I'm just looking at a mirror. I might be that dazed elderly man myself. So again, listeners, the painted bird, I love it. I think it's a masterpiece, but be warned. Bruce Porky has his reservations. Eric Holmes is understandably down the middle. And I think he's verging towards Bruce Porky, meaning like you, he's warning, you're warning people, right? Eric Holmes to. Yeah. yeah I, I would, I, I wouldn't say don't see it, but you got to know what you're getting into because this okay. movie, yeah, th- this movie is not easy to watch, but it's 
like beautiful to look at. Like, yeah, <laughs> I already said it, but yeah, yeah it, it's, cool. it's, 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 I, I understand both of your positions equally and I agree with both of your positions equally. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Bruce Perky, I, I feel like such a sociopath recommending the painted bird. I feel so bad. I feel so bad. Bruce Perky, let's get to some real recommendations this week. What, right. what do you got? That's uh, this is a very, <laughs> this is a very slight rewind because I think you did mention it briefly on an episode, but we didn't yes. really talk about it. I didn't get the proper due. This is a twenty twenty movie called The Outpost on Netflix, and I think that. Uh, directed by uh, Rod Lurie, who did The Contender, and I f- don't know what else he's done. But the he's Last done, but- Castle, I believe he did. Yeah, yeah. So th- we were just talking earlier about how on Netflix something could just get lost. This movie has a generic name, The Outpost. In fact, you can find a bunch of other movies called The Outpost, and it just looks like a generic war movie on Netflix. So you're going to assume like, okay, mm, you know, moderate action, probably kind of boring. This movie is worth checking out. First of all, it's funny. I watched this whole movie and I didn't realize till the end that one of the guys was Orlando Bloom in this movie. Yes. It blew my mind that it was Orlando Bloom. I did not even know. And I watched the whole damn movie. Now, <laughs> he plays Ben Keating. It's one of his yeah. best roles. He's, He's one great. Of, great in this. He's fantastic. And at the end, I was like, who is that guy? Oh, it's Orlando Bloom. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> so, okay. So let's talk really quickly. The few negatives of this movie is like a lot of war movies, especially where they're in combat like this, there's a lot of characters and a lot of them will kind of blend together in your mind. It might take a little bit of time to differentiate all of the the actors in it as far as like what the different characters are. Sure. But the situation is compelling enough. It should keep you in the movie. So the basic idea is it's, it's a real life story of this one outpost in Afghanistan. And instead of being on a top of a ridge or overlooking a mountain, it's in the bottom of a Valley. It's in like the most dangerous and, you know, they're the most, they're, they're basically at the mercy of constant sniping from the Taliban and so on. So the, about the first half of the movie is just kind of the day-to-day life, um, watching how they can just be boredom and all of a sudden there'll be violence, uh, how they have to keep getting new commanding officers that keep upending the way their life goes. Yeah, the, po- and the, the politics s- of the situation. The pol- yeah, the pol- yeah. And, it, and it really gets you to the point where you really start to know the characters. You kind of know how they live their daily lives. And then when the second half of the movie hits, it becomes, to me, this is right on par with Black Hawk Down. It is an amazing second half of this movie. And it is, it's relentless and amazing and action-packed and harrowing. And it's one of those movies like we just watched and forgive me for getting the name of it about the, the, um, the firefighters where at the end you see all the real firefighters that only that, the brave. Yes. Thank you. Same kind of thing here. You get to the end of it. And then at the very end, you get to see all the actual people who are involved yeah. in this and uh, it, it works every time. So I would say if you like solid war movies that have action and have harrowing, emotional impact and are probably in a situation you've never actually seen much about. This is a really, really good movie. Solid. I, I love this movie Four yeah. four out of five stars for me. I I'm, a, I'm pretty surprised why it's not getting more run. Yeah. I'm so thankful it's on Netflix. Yeah. And Eric Holmes, you, have you seen the outpost? I have not. I just wrote it down. Oh my <laughs> gosh. I think, you, you know, in all fairness, Bruce, uh, I know you're, you're recommending it, but I think you'd even go, one up on Bruce. I think you'd go really crazy over this movie. I think I think really, you would too. You, yeah, I'm looking. I at- watched this. I went back and watched Fury this week, which I really liked. I'm not going to review it here. We kind of talked about it before, which I really liked. 
And then I watched this movie and I liked it better than Fury. It's a better film than Fury. It's a yeah. better film than Fury. Fury's a gr- yeah. look. Here's the thing. Fury's I a great put film. put a star next to Outpost. Go ahead. Fury yeah. is <laughs> Fury is an awesome film. Okay, Fury, yeah. and, and Fury has a bigger budget. So yep. when you're when you're thinking of if you want to see the smoke rise and you, you want to see a horse going through the, the battlefield or something, that's you go see Fury, right? And it's an homage to Samuel Fuller films, all that stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. a little more cinematic and it's a little more Hollywood and yeah. Yes, right, and that's but, fine. But this gets you to a point. This is, like I said, like Black Hawk Down. If you like Black Hawk Down, you will like this movie because it has, to me, that same impact where it's just like when you're in the shit with them yeah. and it just doesn't end. Uh, I don't even want to describe the kind of things that happen because it's better to just experience it. But it will, it'll just keep, oh, my God. It'll be like, oh, my God. How are they going to get out of this? What's going to happen? Who's going to survive? You know, it's just, ugh, it draws well, you in. I, I don't. This is not the I don't, this is not the right way to go about cinema, but this is how I sort of do it. This is my guilty pleasure. Several years ago, I watched I, I checked out on Amazon Prime Video for the first time Robert Redford and Jeremiah Jeremiah Johnson, directed by mm-hmm. Sidney Pollack. Okay, so after watching Jeremiah Johnson, I thought to myself, you know what? I've given I've given too much ish to Sidney Pollack as a director over the years. So maybe I should go back and watch Havana. Maybe I should, all the other movies that I've really bagged on or just given negative reviews, I I should rewatch and maybe I might see something a little bit. It's like sort of like a up, uh, upscaling it. You, your uh-huh. your your opinion of that d- director's previous work may upscale. Because of because of Jeremiah Johnson, I, I'm going to watch more of Sidney Pollock stuff with Rod Lurie. After watching the Outpost, I can't wait to go back to his stuff and say, "Well, well, maybe I really didn't like." You know, I don't know if I'm going to get to the remake of the of Straw Dogs, but I go back to a lot of Lurie's other body of work, and I might like it even better. Just because, yeah. and even if I don't like it, and say, "Oh, this movie still sucks," man, at least Rod Lurie made the Outpost. That's how yeah. high I am on this. So this is definitely a hidden gem. And I think oh. that it, it'll, some pe- people, people will discover it, but uh, a lot of people haven't, I don't think. So check it out. Okay. So we, uh, that is, that is it for our rewinds. We're now not rewinds. What am I thinking? I'm, I'm completely, I'm thinking about Ida Lupino too, too much. Um, Eric Holmes, what is your, what is your movie pick? Give, give your first movie pick this week. All right, the, the next one I got is uh, a 2019 movie directed by Stephen Knight. And I, when I talked to you guys off air, I thought this was a rewind, but apparently we talked about it like later on. So, um, but it's a movie with Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway. And uh, this is not a, this is not a rewind. This is called a sidewind. Sidewind. <laughs> <laughs> I don't hate that. I don't hate that at all. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't be sorry. Let me write down sidewind for future. <laughs> <laughs> we got a sidewind here. Uh, 2019 Stephen Knight directed movie called Serenity uh, with Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway. And uh, let's see who else is in this. I can't think of Jason Clark, Jamon Hansu, yeah, Jeremy Strong. Jeremy Strong. This movie, I hated this movie starting out. Starting out. And what sucks the most about talking about this movie is the yep. only thing I can talk about this movie is up until I stopped hating it. Because <laughs> there's a twist. And when that twist happens, 
all that stupid shit that I hated about Serenity, at, at least in my mind, made sense. Oh, I get it now. That's why these characters are so dumb. This that's why this doesn't make sense because of this thing that I cannot talk about right now. Yep. And that twist is so insane mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. great. And then what they do after that is fantastic. And I cannot talk about any of this because if I do, I'm gonna be spoiling the shit out of this movie. Serenity that a lot of people give this movie shit. And I don't understand why it's it's definitely it's definitely insane and the twist is ridiculous but this movie completely worked for me okay on imdb this sorry eric uh, imdb the plot summary here here goes a fishing boat captain played by pat matthew mcconaughey juggles facing his mysterious past and finding himself ensnared in a reality where nothing is what it seems I was going to make a joke like <laughs> playing nothing is Anne Hathaway. No, but anyways, Matthew McConaughey <laughs> and Anne Hathaway, Diane Lane. Oh gosh. It's a, it's a film noir. Okay. This would, let's talk to the points about yeah. the movies, the part of the movie where you hated it, Eric Holmes before the twist. It's a noir set on a boat, set in this tropical, sunny Island resort area. I don't know. It's set somewhere. It's in, it has a lot of, it's sunshine noir. Yes. Yeah. On a base level, Bruce, were you able to appreciate the sunshine noirish elements? Did you like well, anything about this movie? I, I, I was. I'm in the very similar boat to, to Eric. I mean, it, it, the sunshine noir is very middle of the road and cheesy, but it's also got some weird aspects to it that just don't make sense to you. And then the twist helps those things make some sense perfect example and this isn't telling anyone a, a trick at all but you'll be following a character and the camera will do this really weird crazy move where it will like like rotate around that character in a really strange way and you're like why did we have that shot why is that dramatically there when you get to the twist you understand why that's there and there's a bunch of stuff like that in there and this ended up making my top 20 last year this is going to be if people do like it it's going to be in a lot of people's guilty pleasure kind of category because you could say is it a great movie uh, maybe maybe not well you put but in your top 20 so it's a great movie for you it's a top yeah, 20 movie because it's so damn fun the same oh, way that wow. we put the fanatic in our top 20 last year and a lot of people hated that movie because it's so damn strange and fun so i uh, and we cannot accentuate enough the twist in this movie is one of the most bonkers twists that's been in a movie, period. At it, least one of the most, if not the most. I can't imagine a yeah. twist that's just this unbelievably. I Okay, I saw this in the theater. I, pl- I paid money to go see this movie. When the twist happened. You were like, what the fuck? I said, wow, that was gutsy. And I hated the movie even more. So <laughs> I really hated the movie. That said, Eric Holmes, to your point. Oh my gosh, the love scene in Serenity. It just I, it makes me, the love scene between Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway makes me glad that I'm a 49-year-old single man who nannies my uh, my niece because it took the joy out of passion or sex or connection whatsoever. It's embedded in my mind that that was the unsexiest scene I've ever seen in my life. And on top of that- it Should be put in the painted bird. It's so depraved. The, that, that's the, twist, <laughs> the twist makes the love scenes in this movie- some of the most disturbing and strange things that have yes. ever existed on film. 
I, I, I was going to say, Greg, everything that you, the, the stuff you're knocking about the movie, I could defend every one of those points, but I can't right now. But once we're done recording, <laughs> I will tell you exactly why that, why that makes sense. So if um, you, if you like some bonkers movies, well, we, should, we can say this. If you like bonkers movies, movies that are really going to go place you're not expecting that you're not going to forget and definitely are going to give you a weird bang for your buck. <laughs> serenity is it so we we we, you know we haven't done a spoiler episode in a in a while and uh maybe maybe we we could uh get some friends together and talk about that if there is one movie that's worth doing a spoiler discussion about it's this one yeah Um, yeah but i'm 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 in the camp of i love serenity i hated it it's showing on Hulu, it. right? Until or the is it twist. On Amazon? Where is it showing? A- Amazon right Prime Video. Amazon okay. Prime Video. Yeah. Uh, no, no. I rented it on YouTube because, you know. Bruce. <laughs> you did? You, you, I did. You totally did that? I rented <laughs> it have, on YouTube. You have, you have Prime Video? That's amazing. <laughs> I, did, I didn't even check. I didn't even check. I'm like, it's on YouTube. That's Three awesome. bucks. Fuck it. I'll rent it. Hey, but you know what? That's cool. That's that's totally fine. You know what? I, I'm, I'll be, I, I would love to do a spoiler. And as much as I hate that movie with a passion, I can see where you guys are coming from. And I wouldn't mind actually rewatching it and being open to changing my mind. So, yeah. And in fact, uh, one other thing, and I won't get into it because I, literally everything great about this movie hinges on that twist and i cannot talk about why i love this movie so much but it inspired a fantastic idea in me that i will put into something else that yeah oh okay cool. very 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 cool. I'll, I'll tell you guys off air and maybe if we do a spoiler episode i'll mention on there but yeah uh I, i'm in the uh lo- and I, it should also be mentioned that Stephen knight is not just some slacker let's let's say for argument's sake that that serenity you watch it and it's like this movie sucks i don't think so i did until the twist happened and i thought it was brilliant <laughs> but uh steven knight let's see he wrote eastern promises did not see redemption but i will be watching that very soon uh wrote and directed Locke. wrote Amazing. upon sacrifice wrote burnt right. Uh, root. Well, the girl in the spider's web. Um, but he created. He created friggin' Peaky Blinders. He created Peaky that series. Blinders taboo. Taboo. Like, like the, this guy's a great writer, and so and again the twists and the stuff. It, it. He's such a talented writer based on his previous work that I don't think it's an accident. We and, and you know as much as I I'm gonna throw pot shots in it that the the twist is a cinematic twist it's a narrative twist but also the twist is actually very prevalent to the kind of world we live in today I mean some some people can act you can actually extrapolate some of the stuff that Serenity is talking about and you could apply it into today's world as well that's all I'm going to say I'm going to give it that half a shake say regarding uh, Serenity but maybe down the road Bruce what do you think yeah down the road maybe. Mm-hmm. okay yeah okay so serenity oh I, you know what i wonder we've got to look up the up, up um the blu-ray or dvd what kind of special features that'd be pretty cool if the, i i hope it's packed with special features the blu-ray release now bruce before we get to you i have a very quick i'm gonna go out post quick on this movie rec- recommendation because i'm not really good at doing these movie recs but coming out on november 20th this friday in select theaters and available on Prime Video December 4th is Sound of Metal. Apologies that I, Sound of Metal, 
Are you, okay, first off, are do any of you guys know anything about this movie? Are you excited? Do you like Riz Ahmed? Any of that kind of stuff? Any any kind of buzz you've heard about this movie or zero? I was I was going to mention this at the end of the show, but since you brought it up, I did see your interview with Riz Ahmed, mm-hmm. and that's a really good interview. And I yep. and not just because you're here, and not just you know to. I would recommend anyone listen to your interview with Riz Ahmed. It is way too short. <laughs> I, I could listen yes. to you guys and listen to him talk for like hours on, yeah. on kind of what you guys touched on. But yeah, it was a real gr- great interview Thank and you. I not wait to watch this movie. And that's exactly what it did for me too. The interview made me want to watch the movie. It didn't tell me too much about it, but just enough to really intrigue me and get me hyped up about it, which is exactly where I want to be. I don't want to know the story but I want to be intrigued by it. And I am. Okay. So I'm not going to say anything much about the story. I'm just going to read the IMDb plot summary. A heavy metal drummer's life is thrown into a free fall when he begins to lose his hearing sound of metal, right? Sound of metal, sound of metal. Rizumet plays the heavy metal drummer. Olivia cook is his girlfriend. They're in a band. She's a guitarist. He's losing his hearing. And now it's about like, you listen to the interview. It's about the choice of realizing that, your entire life is wrapped up in this other person. You're in a, you love punk rock. You love playing music and you're losing your hearing. You're also addicted to drugs. And now he enters a sober, sober home for the deaf. That's just the plot summary. And I, it's directed by Darius Martyr. And it's one of my favorites of the year. To your point, Eric Holmes, about My Octopus Teacher, the way you felt about that movie, how it hit you on, an, on a real visceral, emotional level. Sound of Metal really, really hit me on a very deep level. No irony there. And I, yeah, I was pretty much moved by the entire experience. I can't wait till both of you see it. Listeners, I can't wait till you see Sound of Metal. On a superficial level, Riz Ahmed, I think, is a shoe-in for an Oscar Best Actor Oscar nomination. If they don't give him a nomination, it'll be sacrilege. Kind of like what happened last year to Adam Sandler with Uncut Gems. Do you guys have any idea why he didn't receive a a nomination, Eric? That's got to be a grudge against him for all of his movies he's made in the past. It's got to be. Eric, you have a theory? He's Adam Sandler. And I'll be damned if I'm going to give an Oscar to Billy Madison. That's all that is. Yeah, that's the reason. They just resent him for all the money he makes on all the goofy movies he makes, and they don't want to like reward him. And his movies are hilarious. I'll throw that in there too. <laughs> and we didn't even review uh, Huey, Huey, whatever that Halloween one. That was a fun movie. <laughs> yeah, we didn't we didn't get to it, but yeah, Sound of Metal. I'm not gonna. I don't want to spoil anything for for you guys. I'm gonna just try to get <clears throat> us both links so we can actually have a real real review of Sound of Metal when it comes out cool. on December fourth. Just know that it's this is a. I, I said four stars. Like this is like a four and a half out of five star experience for me. Sound of Metal, and yeah, it's just there's really no weak points about this movie. Rizamed. I always knew Rizamed was pretty a pretty cool actor, but after watching Sound of Metal, definitely want to watch more of his previous work as well. Have you guys seen any of her stuff? Like Venom. I mean, he was he was also in the Night of Ven- Venom's a movie. But he he was in uh, Nightcrawler, wasn't he? He was the oh. driver. Yep. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I saw that. Yeah, he's good in that. I'd, I'd have to look up his IMDb. I, I I know I've seen him and stuff, but yeah, those are the only two that come to mind right away. I, I like him though. And especially, and again, with your interview with him, I fell in love with the guy during your interview yeah, with him. Yeah, me too. I cannot He's wait so to cool. see this guy and everything. All right, cool. So Sound of Metal, again, November 20th. If you if you guys are decide to go to the theaters or if you are a 
germ phobe like me, you got to wait till December 4th to actually see it on Amazon Prime Video. And we, you can tell with Sound of Metal, the, the transfer this time out will be a lot better than the bigamist. I love you guys on Amazon Prime Video. They're never going to sponsor the show. I apologize. Bruce Perky. Bruce Perky. Oh, yeah, no. Yes. Who's turn? Is it Eric Holmes' turn or your turn? Who's turn? Well, let me, let me ask. Eric, how many uh, movies do you have left? Okay. Uh, one. Let's have Eric do his because then we can finish on the final movie, which I know Greg is not want to talk about. Okay. So. Cool. So go for it, Eric. All right. Well, that's perfect because this one's not very good. <laughs> oh, what? I, I recently uh, listened to the audio book of uh, Frankenstein. I've... I've seen the movies and I've never read the actual book before. And then heard, uh, watch a YouTube video of Mark DeWidziak talking about his first time reading Frankenstein. It's like, holy shit, this is way different than what I thought it was. So I listened to the audio book and Frankenstein is a fantastic book. I love that book. And I started thinking, I, I like it even more than the, the original Frankenstein movie, which is really good. And it's a good story, but the, the book is so good. And then, but I've never seen Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, the uh, Kenneth Branagh, Branagh? <laughs> Kenneth, yeah, Kenneth Branagh version. Hey, Written ask by... me, I'm so old, Eric. Go ahead. How old are you, Greg? I did the press junket for that Frankenstein movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I know that uh, Frank Darabont uh, wrote the screenplay, co-wrote it. I guess they had some rewrites or whatever. Frank Darabont is on record of hating this movie. And it's not terrible, but it's not great either. It's well, first of all, it follows the book kind of, but the problem with this movie is every interesting thing about the book, it breezes by this movie breezes by and everything that's kind of, you know, Oh, okay. That's a cool thing. They really focus in on, in the movie. It's almost, uh, what, what would you call that? Just what words. Words that <laughs> words stopped with me. Um, <laughs> it, 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 overlooked, they it, overlooked, they they bypassed, they overlooked, they ignored. Or... Uh, yeah, the the all the cool stuff within the the uh, book is in there. They just breeze past it like it's nothing, and then they focus in on the shit that doesn't matter. And it, it's fun for like a '90s kind of horror ish movie, but yeah. Skip it. Bruce has something. Let's talk about what Bruce wants. No, wait, wait, no, wait, Bruce. Did you see? Has it been years since you've seen that movie? Oh yeah, I, I, I barely remember anything about it other than it's De Niro as the monster, right? And mm. I just remember it being very, very middle of the road. It's not terrible. It's not great. It's just you're just spending yeah. time. You're spending time with him for a while, and you're like, okay. And, and that, you're gonna and- make a new Frankenstein. You got to do something with it, you know. And it didn't, yeah. Eric, does well, it feel I, like I, a- I, I, oh, well, actually, that that's the thing about this. They're not trying to make a new Frankenstein. They're trying to go back to the original story, right? And they fucked it up. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, <laughs> it's like, ooh, let's let, let's focus on my love for so. I, I guess that's the thing. And this came out in the '90s, so it makes sense that they would focus on that because that's what every movie did and you know big hollywood movies don't like to take chances they like to deal with what's popular and what was popular in the 90s and before that oh love story let's focus on the love story that's not the focus of the frankenstein story as it is in the book and that's what they focus on here and my god was that not interesting at all question for you eric holmes oh go ahead if the director from vampire called dreyer directed Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, would that have been a better movie? Do you think he could have done a better job? 
Uh, if he did anything oh like God. Vampire, it would be fucking weird. And I would, it probably wouldn't be anything like the book, but I'd still watch it and like it. <laughs> this feels like a 90s movie made by Columbia TriStar, which it was. And you're, yeah. are you, you're saying, does it feel like dated, extremely dated as far yeah. as? Yeah, kind of. I mean, you know, th- look, th- this movie's not terrible. It- it's definitely watchable, but th- th- my same problem with what I have with uh, reading I Am Legend and then seeing the movies based on I Am Legend, the book is so good. And I hate being that guy saying the book is better, but it is. It's so, like, it's just yeah. like mind blowingly good. Uh, Mary Shelley's original novel, Frankenstein, is so good. Do that. If you're going to make a movie about Frankenstein, do that and it will be fantastic and everyone will love you for it. But for some reason, I, you know, I don't know. It's just disappointing to watch pretty much. Well, what would be interesting, though, is in 2017, I don't know if you saw this, Bruce Perky, they made this film PG-13, two hours long, called Mary Shelley, has Elle Fanning playing Mary Shelley. Oh, yeah. And, I didn't see it. you know... Eric Holmes, since you're uh, you're talking about Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, might I don't know that might be down the line if you're in that Mary Shelley mode. I know when that movie came out, it got mixed reviews, but I don't know. I just wanted to throw that out there, just FYI. It's about the life of Mary Shelley, stars Elle Fanning. She's quite the actress, so heads up yeah. on that. Okay, so that is Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, directed and starring Kenneth Branagh. Bruce Perky, you got. You said you have one more to lead us out? Yes, I have one more plus a bonus short that goes with it that you probably, none of you have ever seen or even heard of. And I was thinking as I was getting into Ilipino and we're getting all these 40s and 50s movies and stuff, I was thinking, I want to see Vertigo again. And I know that it's Greg's favorite movie. And I was thinking every week, I want to, for the next couple of weeks, I'm going to pick a movie that's a favorite of one of Greg's one of Eric's and one of mine, just to bring them to the, st- the, the page. You know, we, we talk about them maybe offhand, but never actually talk about them. So my experience with Vertigo, first of all, everyone knows Alfred Hitchcock, uh, 1958. Uh, it is on Hulu right now, a pretty darn good print of it. Uh, if you mm. just, if you don't have the 4K or whatever, you know, master version of it, but it's a good, a good version of it. My experience with Vertigo was, if you remember, it was the late 80s, or early 90s, they came out with all the VHSs of Hitchcock movies. And I think Vertigo and Rear Window and a couple other movies had never been kind of re-released. So that was the first time I saw it. And actually, that was the last time I had seen it. So I liked it, but it didn't really hit me. And I think Vertigo is one of those movies that really can be experienced differently later in life or on a second viewing, because I think Vertigo is a movie that is somewhat hurt on first expectations. If your experience with Hitchcock is suspense and these kind of heightened suspense moments, Vertigo might not hit people with the same impact. And if you go into it knowing a little more what you're going to get and let it hit you again, I fell in love with this movie. It is beautiful beyond belief. I'm not telling anything that people don't know. Um, <laughs> well, no, no, so, you are actually because you you've actually have experience watching it. So this is yeah. actually a more valid opinion because this is a rewatch, a total rewatch. So a uh, basic story, if anyone doesn't know, and there may be some people out there, you know, that never have gone back and watched Vertigo. They've heard of it, but never seen it. It's one of those kind of movies that easily could be in that category for people like a Casablanca or whatever. Hey, sure. I've heard about Vertigo forever, but never seen it. John or Scotty is his nickname played by James Stewart. Madeline, that's the only name I'm going to give right now. Madeline <laughs> by Kim Novak. I am not giving the twist of this movie 
because there is a twist, a very big twist. Barbara Bel Geddes plays Midge, which is kind of his um, his girl Friday, I guess you'd say. Yeah, his best, his best friend, his platonic um, friend. Yeah. yeah. So, and the basic concept is he get he's a police officer. He's kind of off the force because he's got this. He had this bout of vertigo. He can't literally has vertigo, and his uh, partner died partially because of that. Maybe he blames himself. He's kind of down on himself. He gets hired um, almost like a private investigator to essentially follow this other man's wife and figure out what's going on with her. And there's, I don't know how to describe it other than there's a mystery of what's going on with her. And it's super obsessive. It's probably considered the most obsessive Hitchcock. It's super romantic, but also twisted Mm. and ghostly and gorgeous. This movie is absolutely the height of Technicolor beauty. There are compositions of this movie that are just breathtaking. And I'm sure that Greg can go down the path and say them all. And it has a really interesting twist. And it's probably one of the most interesting roles that Jimmy Stewart's ever had. Because he, in some ways, plays against type by the end of the movie. Eric Holmes, your experience with Vertigo. I'm so glad that you liked it upon a recent viewing, Bruce. But what is your experience, Eric Holmes, regarding this film? My experience with Vertigo is kind of backwards. Faith No More has a video for Last Cup of Sorrow, <laughs> of which in which the video is like a condensed version of the movie Vertigo. And I did not know this at the time. I'm like, oh, that's a cool video. I love Faith No More and blah, blah, blah. And then it's just one day, just out of nowhere, I got Vertigo and I watched it. And I'm like, hey, it's like the Faith No More video. <laughs> and... uh but yeah, that, that, that movie is really weird and really, uh, it, it's kind of like one of those, uh, I, I, I've seen it a couple times, but it, it's one of those, uh, not an unreliable narrator, but you don't quite know what's real and what's not. Where like, uh, he, he thinks something's going on, but maybe he's crazy. And then the, the deal with the, yeah. The deal. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, the, yeah. The, we don't want to say, the, but yes. Yeah. I could see people who love this movie only liking it to a point and not wanting to watch the rest of the movie. And I could see other people only liking it because of what happens in the rest of the movie. Yeah. And I don't, I might be crazy about that, but I feel that. And I also feel like, and you can tell me, Greg, and I'm actually want to ask you a personal question about this in a minute. This seems like the type of movie I know I myself, if I lived closer, would start looking for the locales of this movie. I can't think of, there's a few movies that are like this, but this movie if you like it, almost begs a fan to want to go to these locations. I've been to Fort Point. I've been to the Redwood Forest. But I, if I live near this, I would take a trip and try to go to all these locales. So my question to Greg is, have you done that? And yeah. how many of the locales have you gone to? Yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, when I, I think I was in either eighth grade or ninth grade, 1986. So that was, I was around 14 or 15. My parents, they took me and my sister up to Monterey, Carmel. And we saw that the mission where Vertigo shot, loved it. Great memories, of course. Yeah, yeah. That. So, have you been to the mission? Yeah. So that was that was the main thing. I, I went to the mission. So yep. I don't have real recollections, but I remember us going to the actual. Me telling my parents we have to go to the mission. Okay, so it was eighty six. So that means I was fifteen. I probably saw Vertigo for the first time when I was fourteen. Okay, and the way it struck me. And Bruce, you were saying you, well, how old were you when you saw Vert- the first time you saw Vertigo? Maybe how would you, how would you say? I was probably in my twenties. Wow. So you got to think when you're four, 13 or 14, you're a teenager, teenage kid, 
boy or girl, it doesn't matter. Your hormones are raging. So, and how cinema attacked us, our generation, okay? Yeah. We didn't have all these options, okay? So we were, you know, the VHS, the Betamax, first time we we plopped in Vertigo, the Saul Bass intro blew me away. You're talking about Technicolor. I probably had no idea what Technicolor was at 13 or 14. I had a, a vague idea, but the colors absolutely popped. Yep. And to tell you the truth, the twist, you're talking about Serenity, the twist shook me like the 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 serenity twist shook you eric but all of all of that said being a 14 year old horny asian dude asian kid in high school i hitchcock in, incepted my head and said greg kim novak kim novak is the most beautiful woman yes in the world and she 100 percent agree yeah, right, yeah. and she it looks really beautiful in sweaters, and she looks beautiful in front of a green light, not a green well, screen. And the things he does, and I know you know this because you've seen this movie a million times. The way he shoots her, like there's all these shots of her just kind of over her shoulder, not quite seeing her face. Mm-hmm. So it's this super voyeuristic, like glimpsed kind of view of her, so that when you see her face on, or you see her like walking out in her full suit, you're just like, oh my god! So you're supposed to hit you, right? Yeah, like a vision. Yeah. It's and it's, amazing. you know, Vertigo, the reason why it's my number one film is because out of any other film that exists, it's been the biggest influence on my life on a personal level. Because when you're a kid and you see that image of Kim Novak in Vertigo, it just all throughout my high school, my idea superficially of the ideal woman was a woman who was blonde. So mm. I never, I literally had that image for for years on end, up even through college. So Vertigo hit me on a very superficial, just horny teenager level at a during that time. But as I graduated emotionally, you talked about the following shots. And when I started getting to, into the Brian De Palma, and I was in my 20s, like oh, the yeah. first time you saw Vertigo, I realized, well, you know what? There's more to life than being that one-dimensional teenager. And you realize how beautiful the mise-en-scene is in Vertigo. The fa- the idea that cinema is about voyeurism. You're actually peeking into someone's life, right? So you follow that. And then and then as you get older in your 30s and 40s, you realize the sweeping score of Bernard yep. Herrmann, how it can really, how um, how the music should, should sometimes really just envelop the entire experience. And you and I were talking outside this podcast, you were saying how, you're thinking a lot of that music of Bernard Herrmann's music was sort of maybe, maybe there's sort of an influence with portrait of a lady on fire, right? Which is uses right. that same kind of technique. I was also saying how the first time you see uh, the main character in portrait of a lady on fire, she's following behind her and you're seeing her from behind. You don't see her face right away. And she's walking towards a cliff. And even though it's not a direct homage, it's just that tone, you know, the other thing you, I wanted to mention, like so you're talking about all these things, the, the beautiful, the artistry of this movie and everything the impeccable shots, the impeccable motion, but also the way he not only beguiles you to like, like your original, like infatuation, right? Almost like beauty and infatuation is, is, is what, is what he does, you know, is what he does as a character, but then it also forces you to also be upended and to have to wonder about like your expectation and what you're placing on it, the fantasy version of a person you're placing on them. And that's all about that stuff too. So it has so many interesting, weird layers. It's, it's a really fantastic movie. And 
Did you have anything else to add before I add my other weird little thing? That's it. Yeah, you, you yeah. said you have a short. I'm excited to hear about it. So this is a really weird thing. This is just to show you that even to this day, Vertigo is having an effect on people. Now, I was searching Vertigo and looking at IMDb and all this stuff, and I saw a, a little image and it said Vertigo AI. And I'm like, what is Vertigo AI? It's a five-minute short. It's still in the festival circuit. So I was looking around, like, how can we see, what is this vertical AI, Vertigo AI? And I went and I found the website of the um, director, the artist, and I actually reached out to him so I could watch it. <laughs> so I did. He sent me a screener. So what Vertigo AI, I'm going to have to read this to you. Uh, first of all, the uh, director is Chris Peters. He's an artist mostly. He does a lot of visual art, but he also does some um, film stuff. Uh, And this short, here's what happens. Okay, I have to read this to you or I won't get it right. Over a two-day period, an AI repeatedly watched the movie Vertigo. Starting as a blank slate, the AI received its entire knowledge of our visual world from the film. And during the process, the artist recorded the machine's neural network, forming in real time the movie experience made manifest. So essentially, he had an AI only watch Vertigo. And then, (laughs) to complete the experiment, a separate AI was used to write a narration for the recording, giving only lines from the movie Vertigo, and it generated its own sentences to go with the visuals. So <laughs> you wow. get this really bizarre, almost abstract, surrealistic version of things that are in Vertigo, along with these lines that kind of fit. So it's this strange thing where it almost comes across as like a fever dream or nightmare that the James Stewart character might have had. You can imagine him in the midst of this, having this nightmare. And if you've seen Vertigo and you watch the short, you will recognize certain things, but they're all kind of distorted and weird and almost melted looking. It's very strange and interesting. So I would say, check that out if you get a chance. And this is the added little detail. (laughs) It's pretty interesting. Yeah. This director's next project is called 24483 Dreams of Death. He's using the same process, but he used it over six or seven days. And he had the AI only watch Mario Bava's Black Sunday, and which I love the original Italian, which is La Maschera della Demonia. So this guy is doing some weird and interesting stuff with some movies that we love. So just put that on your radar as something interesting. You, and you, and you said you got a hold of the, the director? Yeah. Can you ask them how much it would cost to do that for Greenlands? <laughs> that's so funny. So I can reach out to go there. You had to go there. I did, but that, that, that sounds like such a cool idea. Just have a, you say just a computer's just watching Vertigo and then it just kind of, yeah. And that's all the computer Whoa. knows. And then it, yes. So basically, AI awesome. is. is so the AI is is creating its entire knowledge of reality based on whatever it gives it. And in this case, it gave it Vertigo. And in the other case, it gave it the Bava film. And I thought, well, this guy's on some weird wavelength that we totally can vibe with. And I thought, hey, what a weird thing to bring to the table. So there you go. Okay. I have a pitch <laughs> for this guy. Okay. <laughs> because With Eric and his ideas. <laughs> I have a pitch for this guy. And this will bring back physical media, hopefully. But one of the things that stuck, you know, uh, they all have behind the scenes and they have this and that. But one of the things in physical media that sticks is the audio commentary. Yes. Because people like to watch the movie and hear what the filmmakers thought of what they saw. This could be like a new type of audio commentary. 
you get, uh, I don't know, uh, Bad News Bears for some reason comes to mind. Oh, I'm going to get the new Bad News Bears with the computer generated version of what it thinks bad like that oh, dude funny. that 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 would be a great special feature to have on any criterion needs to get a hold of this guy it's like oh yeah you want to watch the 400 blows check this out and then it goes to the computer and comes out as a painted bird or whatever <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's really it's really fascinating and I think that this guy is definitely tapping into something interesting. Chris Peters, just to say again, I, I will forward this off to him and maybe we'll have some more conversations. But um, yeah. I thought interesting way to tie something so classic and, you know, universally loved from what, how many years ago now? 50, 60 years ago, 70 years ago? 58, So it's 62 years. It's been 62 yeah. years. And yeah. there's something that's happening right now that's still getting affected by vertigo. So Okay. So that yeah. is vertigo AI. Oh, Eric. Sorry. Oh, that, <laughs> I'm just not lamenting. That's not the. I'm excited about that idea. That that sounds like such a freaking cool idea. It just captured my imagination. I'm glad that I'm glad they did that, and I can't wait to see what the what what Vertigo looks like, dude. So you, he, you blew you blew my mind. Is what you did, <laughs> yeah. Bruce? You have it. So you have Chris Peters, right? Is that his name, Chris Peters? Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. So and, and then you have his website, right? So we'll put it yeah. on our. our Okay, so listeners, if you're interested in his work, Vertigo AI, right? Vertigo AI. Vertigo AI. He's got some other stuff on there too, but Vertigo AI. And then, he, like I said, he's working on um, that Baba one. And that number that was in that number is Dreams of Death mm-hmm. is how many – he had to create that many 24,000 whatever neural lines to like compute everything, and then he had to kill them all by the end. So that's why it's called that, I guess. <laughs> wow. Okay, well, Bruce is going to supply us with the with the website of of this Chris Peters, right? And then we'll we'll put it on our show notes for our podcast. Anything so I does that I guess that wraps it wraps it up. We're going to now uh record our Ida. I said it again. Ida. <laughs> what is, what is, why do I why do Yes, thank you Eric. Eric, um just I, shut me up the next episode. Ida Lupino. Ida Lupino. Hey, Say it Greg, three times. Ida Ida Greg, Ida. It, it took me a while to, because when I first saw the name, I was like, Ida Lupina. It, it took me a while. So yeah. don't feel bad about it is what I'm getting at. Bruce, how come you've never called her Ida? How come you've always called her Ida? Bruce, how come? Why do you me always have to Ida be correct? have been close since Batman. So we've <laughs> been like this. Okay. Again, listeners, if you want to check check us out on video form, go to Bruce Perky's Rustomeyer, R-U-S-T-O-M-I-R-E YouTube channel. Bruce, you want to say something before we get out of here? No, I'm good. <laughs> He's good. Eric Holmes, are you good? What, you, what thoughts? Yo, oh my gosh, Eric Holmes is ruminating. Cinemarics is is what are you ruminating about? Say something interesting. I, I, I'm I'm just really digging this episode. There's so much cool stuff. Uh, we did a lot of rewinds and then kind of did some side winds and then ended up with the end winds and then Bruce blew my minds with the computer lines and I don't know anything else that doesn't rhyme because I'm making up words now, but yeah. Hey, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Yes, we, we definitely, we, we're, we're enjoying each other's companies. We love a lot of films. Listeners, also, if you have any films you'd love us to see, recommend for us, please hit us up. Hit me, Bruce Perky, and Eric Holmes up. Yes, so a lot of stuff we, we talked about on this episode for our movie recommendations. Now we are off to spotlight the prolific and amazing work of director and actress Ida Lupino. Everyone have a great week of movie watching, and we'll see you next week. Take care.